This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. This is episode two of a four-part series on Christian leadership. It's easy to think you're not a leader, but the reality is if you have just one follower, you're leading. Maybe you're a parent. Maybe you coach a youth soccer team. Maybe you teach Sunday school class. Maybe you do all of those things in addition to leading a small group of employees at your workplace. More than likely, you are leading in some capacity. And so what we're focusing on is being a faithful follower of Jesus in order to lead well. Today, I sit down with Jeff and Tara Matson, the founders of Living Wholehearted and authors of Shrinking the Integrity Gap Between What Leaders Preach and Live. Jeff and Tara draw from their experiences as a pastor, executive coach, and licensed therapist, and they speak to this gap between our values and our habits. They also speak to how leaders often use their positions to self-protect and hide unhealthy coping. It's a book that I definitely recommend, and I think this conversation will open your eyes to some ideas about leadership that you maybe haven't considered before. If you decide to purchase the book, please, after listening to today's conversation, click the affiliate link in the show notes. That provides a small payout to me at no cost to you. Other ways you can support the show include sharing this episode with a friend, making a donation at buymeacoffee.com slash grace enough, and subscribing to the newsletter. Good morning, Jeff and Tara, and welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. We are going to dive right into our conversation today as we are talking about leadership. And so the two of you, you guys have invested more than two decades in leadership coaching and trauma-informed therapy. And so as you think about that, and that's what you, the work that you continue to do now, um, and I think you guys let me know, do you mostly work with church leadership in that or all different types of people? Yeah, all different types of people. Yeah, a lot of folks uh, inside and outside of the church uh, share our biblical worldview and folks that totally reject it. Awesome. Mm -hmm. That's great, though, right? Because you get the whole gamut of how people are impacted by trauma and the way that they lead, because that does cross Christian lines. That's not just something that happens in our little world. But with that said, I mean, what we have seen in recent years is just a lot of leadership failings that have come front and center. I'm not so sure that it's happening more as much as it's just more um, talked about than it used to be. But tell me a little bit as we dive into this conversation, what you found to be the root issue of some of these failings. Yeah, I'll start. Really, we didn't dive into this work with this intent. Uh, We were called to leaders. Jeff and I are both leaders our own stories. Um, 
kind of reflect the clients that we've worked with over the years where we're, we've got gifts and talents and that kind of leadership gifting. And so we've been put into leadership our whole life without very few people really asking us our stories, what we've been through. Mm-hmm. And by the grace of God, Jeff and I started really young working on our stuff, our baggage. As Jeff says, we wanted to get our, bar- our baggage down to carry on sides. <laughs> so we didn't carry it into the legacy of our leadership and our children. So what we found is over the years of working with leaders after leaders after leaders, particularly even those in the church, is that we have dismissed our stories, thinking our past is in the past. Mm. And yeah, we tell our stories. We might even say it on a stage, right? You hear from the pulpit or testimony, you know, I went through this or I went through that, but we've not actually grieved it. We've not actually processed it. And it's created uh, what we call compartmentalized living which trauma survivors are excellent at. It's a God-given trauma response. Right. And it also serves us in leadership because we have a higher capacity for stress and intensity. Mm. And we think it's normal until (laughs) crack, we fall underneath the weight of that. So it it serves us well in our 20s, our 30s, maybe even into our 40s. And then we start to see that division and that compartmentalizing crack because we were never meant to live that way. Hence why we labeled our company living wholehearted. We're really trying to help us live integrated lives instead of those compartmentalized lives. And so like us and many other leaders, leaders end up getting thrown into leadership without the ability or the time or the wisdom to work through the pain of their past and to grow that inner character before the pressures of leadership take its toll. Mm. Jeff, do you have anything you want to add to that? I just would just say to add to it, I would say that uh, the whole point of looking back in the past and leaders ask us this all the time. And what's the point? (laughs) I mean, how does the past impact in my present and the future? And we, we, we just can't wait to tell them, how it a is. Lot. And and yeah, <laughs> the whole point though, in needing a motivation to go back and to do that hard work, to get your baggage down to carry on size, that's a journey. It's not an event. It's a journey uh, is to, so that you can be more available to actually uh, help meet the needs of others without really needing to use them to get your needs met in an unhealthy way. Right. Yeah. So it's just so that you can serve, you know, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, like servant leadership, his his example, the greatest of all time. um, You know, he never needed to get his needs met from others in unhealthy ways. And Mm -hmm. he he left heaven to serve, you know, Mm -hmm. to humble himself. And uh, we're called to to be like to do likewise. So whether you know Jesus and follow him or not, uh, and you're listening to this. Um, it's a noble pursuit to be able to get um, your needs met in healthy ways so that you can be more available to meet needs of others. Yeah. Well, and do you all think when you are speaking of Christians in leadership, do you think there's ever any, a little bit of a struggle with how we use you know, Corinthians, is it 517, where you're a new creation in Christ, the old has gone, the new has come, because one of my big things is like, you got to move past using the Band-Aid Bible verses. And I'm not saying those things don't apply, but we slap them on wounds as if the past doesn't matter. What is some of the impact and dangers you've seen from that? We'll take turns. Jeff, you go first this time and then I'll add. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Well, we just believe that, uh, you know, this is this is what Living Wholehearted does, integrating biblical, clinical, and relational wisdom, right? Yeah. And so uh, just understanding how God made us in neuroscience in the last yes. decade and more just reveals what we as believers read about and understand in God's character and in the word and and it, and, and they are experiencing in our real lives, in our bodies that he made. So it's just, there's this beautiful integration here, actually. It's not something that we have need to keep separate and everything. And so, uh, you know, I would just say to those that just, again, it's, it doesn't take very long before you just grab a, grab a Bible verse, slap it on something. And, you know, I have a high view. We have a high view of scripture. Right. We believe in the power of the word of God, no doubt about it, but it needs to be properly applied, you yeah. know? And um, God would say, grow in wisdom to all of us and in how we apply his word. And so what we have to understand, and we try to help with uh, pastors, we try to help people who are uh, in positions of authority that are using God's word and caring for flocks. We, we want to assume the best of them, help them to be trauma informed, help them to understand more about how trauma impacts the actual brain, body, yes. spirit, and soul that God created and get wiser about how they can help actually, and to support people uh, and know their limits. Absolutely yeah. know yeah. their limits, right? They're not maybe trained clinicians that need, that are walking with the, the competencies of, uh, that are required and necessary to be able to help someone actually move from a traumatic response to be able to hear the word and the verse in the way in which God designed it. Now, yeah, God can work outside of that. He can. That's right. But mm -hmm. I think generally he's wanting to use people <laughs> to yeah. help people and to live out his principles. Yes. Mm. Yeah, good. I the trauma piece is enormous. I remember starting in my clinical practice in 2005 and I was actually working full-time at a church staff overseeing their counseling, the whole we called it the wholeness ministries, marriage, counseling, celebrate right. recovery, care, all the things that churches love to do. And it was interesting because I would spend time at the county jail and I would sit with meth addicts and what we would all call significant trauma and um, the responses in their life. And then I would go sit in my counseling office at the church, um, very pretty, well, um, you know, high privileged community, lipstick, a really nice yep. handbag, love Jesus. And honestly, the same, mm -hmm. same core issue yeah. of, I don't know if I'm loved. I don't know how to love well. I want to, and I long to, but I don't know how. And so at that time, God was showing me like at the end of the day, as Jeff was saying that people, we need experiential examples of Christ and that's often what's missing when we put a scripture in front of people. We'll teach mm -hmm. it. And when we say, just memorize this. And we go, well, actually, that's only one part. If you watch Jesus, everything he did was experiential. He mm -hmm. brought his disciples alongside him. He ate with them. He looked them in the eye. I mean, granted, we have a very different digital world now that's run interference. Yeah. But what happens is if I say, I love you, and then I don't look you in the eye all day long, and I'm looking at my phone all day, the, the mm -hmm. impact of I love you doesn't change the brain in the same way. So culturally, I am a new creation because of Jesus. And yet I've got the war of all of humanity wearing against me. So I've got to be able to line up my experiences 
meaning boundaries and getting rid of toxic relationships, all these things that we justify under grace and forgiveness when really God says, you're worth more, (laughs) you're worth more than that. So it just takes time. And I'll end with this. I think God is the best trauma therapist out there because when I watch how he works in our lives, He's slow. Yes. Sometimes too yes. slow. <laughs> but that's what trauma therapy is. We're yeah. not like, hey, I'm going to get you in in six sessions. And by the end of that, you are going to be living your high life. Trauma therapy is I'm going to go as slow. We're going to take our time and we're going to grieve and we're going to move through. Nobody, if I told people that at the front, they're like, are you kidding? No way. But there is a process that we have and a pace we have to go for the brain to catch up, for the body to catch up to where the mind and the spirit want to go. Mm-hmm. And that's really discipleship at its best is if we can go slow and we can take that scripture that's true and we can meet it in real time in real life. And that's what we're all having a hard time doing in today's world because it's so inundated with fast, 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 fast. That's right. Yeah. I'll say one last thing. (laughs) Well, because it it just is a real example. There's a church in our area. I'm not going to name the name of the church, but they're, they're known. We've known them for, you know, a couple decades, mainly because we see a lot of people that come from that church. Mm. And, and that church is a church that is a classic has lay, lay counselors, lay uh, marriage mentors. And, you know, thank God that there's a heart for helping, but uh, helping in the wrong direction. They're the church that does slap the Bible verse on something when a couple's going through something that they need actually right. deeper help with, That's clinical right. help with. And they just say, go, you know, join this Bible study, get accountable and and voila. And no wonder why it doesn't work and why we continue to see. And so that's that's what we're talking about here. Now, I'm not pointing fingers at a congregation. I'm just simply saying, validating what you're saying, which is this is happening a lot. And it's happening a lot because ministers don't know their limits Mm -hmm. and they are uh, uninformed about um, Mm -hmm. the the complexities of neuroscience that and they need to be pastoring and they need others that that love the church that also um, want to integrate and have a high view of scripture <laughs> to help translate a little bit. And so yeah. that's where the body of Christ, of course, comes in. Well, and I think even when you say the word trauma, a lot of people who are Christians will just turn it off and stop listening because, and, and not just Christians, it's just, that's my, that's the audience that we're speaking to. Those are the people um, because to them, they've not experienced trauma when in reality, trauma is not necessarily that big, huge, dramatic event that has happened in your life, but there's little T and big T, right? We all experience some type of trauma. So lay a foundation there. What are we talking about when we say trauma? What are we talking about when we say trauma-informed care? And then we'll go into talking about this integrity gap that you guys have written about recently. Okay. So let me, I love that you asked that question because we throw that word trauma has become kind of this, um, you know, everybody throws it around. We don't really know what we're saying. So I used to come, well, I come from a dismissive um, environment, kind of like pull your bootstraps up, get over. People are dying all over the world. Get over it. Like Mm -hmm. just, just to lay that foundation. And then I became a counselor, which is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) But that idea of knowing that that I fight that. So I just want to say that as you're listening and and that's part of the leadership, what made me a good leader, right? I just dismissed right. all the heart in my life and was like, you know what? I got this. It, I call it the athlete mentality of like yep. no pain, no gain mm-hmm. and, and slap a little Jesus on that, man. I know. <laughs> plow through anything. You're flying, is, girl. That's right. Yeah, and, then, and then a lot of people are left in your wake, right? Yes. <laughs> 
And, and what they feel, everyone around you feels that. So you might think you're being grace filled and showing love, but when you're doing that to yourself, you're modeling that to your kids and to those you're, who are in your leadership wake. And they're going, well, if she does that, then I must have to, and I can't, I don't have the same, you know, or my story is different. So going to what definition of trauma is, when I read this in uh, The Body Keeps Score by mm-hmm. Dr. Vander Kolk, he's our number one trauma researcher from decades. And he says in trauma, trauma is anything out of the ordinary. And you go, what? I know. So when you think about the design of, let's say, divorce, how many people have gone through a divorced family system? Between 50-50, Jeff and I, Jeff's parents were divorced. I guarantee in that congregation, people raise their hand. They've either gone through it themselves or they grew up in a home with a divorce. Mm -hmm. That is trauma. Did you have a car accident? That's probably a common one. But we talk about a lot of the emotional neglect as trauma. We also talk about the fact that many of us, a death too early, you know, some people have lost somebody significant in their life on a younger age. But those smaller microaggressions or micro traumas along mm-hmm. the way can come in forms of everything from racism to um, being dismissed and is, when you were a kid and needing emotional comfort and you yeah. grew up in a farming community that emotions were not a part of that world and you just right. worked hard. So just trying to lay a foundation for people who are listening to say it comes in lots of forms. It builds in our body. Trauma affects the body. And then um, we start to feel it over the years in the way that we respond to our current present environment. Mm -hmm. And the difference between someone who has what's called post-traumatic stress disorder and someone who doesn't is the way they were comforted after the trauma. So if you had moved, yeah. So if I moved, when I moved in high school from Arizona to Washington, that would be a little T trauma for a high schooler at the peak of her life. And I had to start all over and leave everybody and everything in the middle of team, not a huge trauma, but it's what happens after that makes all the difference for Mm. someone. Did they get comfort care? Were they able to tell the story? Um, I'll give one research piece that's really fascinating is that um, the research after 9-11 versus Katrina was so fascinating. 9-11, there was less PTSD because we grieved as a global community. We talked about it. And even to the day, we remember every time 9-11 comes around. Mm -hmm. So everybody that was close up in the wake of 9-11, it rippled out and everybody cared and everyone remembers. And we talked less PTSD. Mm. Katrina, fast and furious trauma for those that experienced that. And then it was gone. Everyone forgotten, moved on. Mm-hmm. So the significant PTSD post that event. And so I think just people understanding that if you had communities where you talked and you felt and you processed, you probably have less trauma that's that's vaguing, you know, plaguing you. But in Christian communities, it's not as common for us to be talking about our emotions and to process and to grieve in the same way. Yeah. Because so God sad. can do all, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yeah, I know. Know? And you're Slap that creation. on there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that becomes spiritual abuse, actually. I mean, mm-hmm. motive is important in that, but on the receiving end, that's how it feels actually. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it's such a crucial thing. Like we're in that cultural moment right now where we really we're getting to choose. Are we going to dig deeper into that? Because we absolutely are like a new creation. We absolutely can do things yeah. in the strength of Christ, but it's not talking about 
the context we put it in hardly ever. I mean, new creation is we're new spiritual creations, mm -hmm. but that doesn't erase our brains, right? Mm -hmm. Um, doing all things through Christ is his presence is with us, always strengthening always. us. It doesn't mean that we can go outside and lift the Empire State Building, you know, <laughs> those kinds of things. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. So tell us then about Shrinking the Integrity Gap, which is the name of the book that you guys have written, but what is, and maybe Jeff, you can answer this one. What is the integrity gap? Like, what do you mean by that now in the context of dealing with your trauma? Yeah, I think it, I mean, it would apply broader than just trauma, but integrity gap, yeah. we, well, first of all, integrity for us, uh, all, all the parts of your life, uh, your heart, your soul, your mind, your relationships moving in and for us a, a congruent direction but uh from our lens uh, hopefully a christ-like direction right. a biblical direction right nobody did that perfectly except jesus that's right <laughs> he had no gap like what we're talking about and the gap is the distance between the values that we would espouse about ourselves mm. and the values we live in practice and you know an example would be i could say uh, of course i love my wife and then uh, at the same time, I could also say, I just can't stop yelling at her. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every parent yeah. like me <laughs> yeah. says amen. Okay. Like, yeah. Lord, yeah. why do I yell at my kids when I really don't want to do it? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we all have so a gap. <laughs> for all of us, the, the gap is it can widen and it can shrink. And God would say, hey, you guys, I'm for you here. I'm going to help you. You can't do this without me. But let's shrink this baby down. And between now and the time that you meet me face to face, let's get this thing down. Let's live with more integrity, more congruency. And there I, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's a journey. It's going to widen again, it's close. And hopefully, though, we uh, as we grow and mature in our relationship with Jesus and relationship with others, um, our gaps shrink. Mm. Well, and that's the thing in the book, Jeff, you write quite a few incidents of experiences that you had in ministry mm -hmm. where you couldn't quite put two and two together. Like, wait, you've said this, but then I'm living and seeing this. Mm -hmm. Is there one of those, maybe you could share just a general overview of what it was like for you in that time of almost experiencing your own type of trauma and trying to reconcile, wait a minute, this is not adding up. Uh, one of the stories I share is to do with the church. My first ministry assignment as a pastor, and I, I just fresh out of 
undergrad and had done oh, an internship. Oh, and naive and rosy. So long ago now, you can see some grays here. Um, and uh, now I had got a job in the youth ministry. It was a, an urban church. The church is no longer in existence, largely because of the of the outcome of the story. Mm. Um, but downtown Seattle, and um, we were busing kids in from the international district. Um, there were a few core families uh, that, uh, but outside of that, mostly uh, children. There were homeless. There were folks in the streets that were coming in, and uh, a few key families. And it was a. I came from a conservative evangelical church. This was a Pentecostal uh, place that God had, uh, I couldn't deny, he called me to show me some things um, mm. about this. And my boss was a professor, was the uh, church administrator, and he had uh, taught courses, their little workshops on uh, things like integrity. And um, yeah. he would preach now and then. And um, he uh, he ended up uh, one day not showing up for work, and we were all concerned about him. He was a larger guy. He 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 ate lots of junk food. We thought, oh my gosh, did you know? Yeah. Is he okay? Called his wife. Um, she didn't know where he was, so a couple guys mm -hmm. took his commute. You know that he would have taken from his house that morning to see. He was always the first guy there and the last guy to leave. So um, couldn't find him, but uh, got the one of our pastors. Or two two of the pastors got to the house and found his wedding ring on his dresser. And then we thought, oh, no. And uh, turns out that uh, that was the day that uh, we learned of his plan that he had in place. He was a professional embezzler and he had moved to the church five years previously and was uh, grooming the church and the community wow. uh, to uh, basically execute a plan where he would take, you know, all the old money. It was a church that was over 100 years old. Mm. Uh, there had been not a lot of new money for quite some time, but he he took it and he 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 stole it and uh, he forged the the co-signing of the of our senior pastor's signature and and so yeah integrity gap that was a that was mm -hmm. one huge example in ministry and it was like uh, welcome to ministry my first ministry job my boss was a fraud and a con and uh, and so that began a process of you know of trying to survive in that setting very it was traumatic for our community right. and our and clinging to your faith right yeah 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 so um you know thank god that uh, that you know he didn't let me go in that process mm -hmm. and and uh, helped us through um Helped me through. I'll say that for sure. Uh, Tara, by the way, was my free, my, my my lady intern. I was like, help me with the girls. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we so y'all, you were just you weren't dating. Then. No, we were, we were we dating. Were dating. Oh yeah, yeah, we yeah. were dating. We had already dated prior to to joining this church, and so, <laughs> so we went through that trauma. But I will say, watching Jeff move through that. I mean, we moved through it together, but he was on the center of all of that. And mm. the impact of that, I think that's where the longer people stay in leadership of any type, you yeah. are it's traumatic. There's so much secrecy and betrayal and confidential stuff you have to hold and things that blow up um, marriages and, and people, all kinds of uh, betrayals. And that was that's a, a significant one that kind of set the trajectory for us, huh, Jeff, early on where we were like, Okay, how's God going to use that one in our lives? I mean, we've mm -hmm. had plenty of those, and I know listeners can name many of the, them as well. So, um, but Jeff still loves the bride of Christ after all those years, and that's the miracle for me. <laughs> well, and I think that's the thing that I appreciated about you all. What you all pointed out was how so often 
these people in a leadership capacity, and Tara, you spoke about this earlier, are very actually very much fueled by the past traumas in their life and are capable of holding these roles, but so often the unresolved conflict and trauma in their life actually causes it to implode. Why do you think we're so reluctant to just share that and seek help or just humbly admit now in the situation with Jeff, like he had a plan, but a lot of times that's, it's not a plan. You know, you start out like I truly love people and I want to serve them. And somewhere five years down the road, I look and I'm like, what happened to them? That is not how that started out. Yeah. Well, I think there's two paths. So the one that Jeff's talking about is the leader that's in the church that we're trying to equip the body with and be smarter about uh, the Mm -hmm. narcissists and the sociopaths and those that are on the spectrum that are actually using predators, sexual predators. I've worked with thousands of sexual abuse situations, and there are high profile leaders right now that I won't name, but who came out of sexually abusive church systems. And this is why they lead the way they lead. And they say the things they say is it's unresolved past stuff. So it's constantly the church Mm. hiding and not wanting to deal or blaming the enemy or blaming uh, that person, blaming the victims. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things that um, we're trying to help is, is to grow the body of Christ's wisdom and discernment about what is toxic and what is just humanity. Like there's a very clear difference and what the scriptures say, what is wicked versus what is foolish. Mm -hmm. And then what is a wise person who's human, who sins once in a while, but confesses and asks forgiveness. Okay. There's very different profiles. The other leader is the one who's fueled. I think of um, the 20 something year old who's ready to go and serve the Lord and us who are training them and helping those emerging leaders. We are so excited for their gifts and their talents and their potential. And we move them too fast. Yeah. And they are ready to go. They're eager. They're zealous. They're ready. And we have to be the ones as leaders helping them pace them, even Mm -hmm. though it's hard because you know, if you've run any ministry, you're dying for volunteers. Yeah. You're dying for, for that leader to come in and take up their mantle. And yet there's a, a a patience, a process, you know, I, I watched the chosen and I always see Peter. He's like, okay, you ready, God, you ready, Jesus, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. He's zealous. He's ready. But you see Jesus kind of pacing him Mm. and you can see his break a couple points, right. In Peter's story, where he he gets so excited and passionate and then he denies Jesus like just this back yeah, and forth. cuts off the ear. <laughs> yeah, cuts off the ear. And so this is the part and the reality as we shepherd the younger leaders. So we have our work to do in protecting the flock and be discerning there and to know what these profiles are like. Mm. So that would be Jeff's former boss and also not feeling the flame of just cuz we're desperate for help. Yeah. And we we're so excited for these young people, but they don't know what they don't know. So how do we slow them down and help them do the character work so that they actually Mm. um, can be good wives, could be good husbands, can be good parents, can be good um, parts of the community before they're they're the leaders um, and set up for a trajectory of being isolated from feeling the flame of arrogance thinking their way is the way. I mean, there's all kinds of warning signs that we bring into the book. 
And Tara, I was thinking, if I'm hearing you right, I, what I was hearing you say, I think you were you were trying to articulate this. If I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but there's two responses to trauma generally. One is the achieving response. One is the victim response. That's just true of humans. And then, yeah. and then your your edification, Tara, is is just to help people in ministry and leadership to be more cautious about um, those that are achieving, whether they're achieving for the right you know motives. They want to grow. They're younger. They 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 have gifts and capacity, and uh, so careful to rush them. Uh, be, make sure that they they process their story or help them process their story before they're given power and influence, so that they're not going to be leaking on other people and getting their needs met from others in unhealthy ways. Um, and then there's the the wolves in sheep's clothing that are, are the achievers, the charisma, and they have the motive actually to to be taking. And uh, so and they're clever. Two two mm-hmm. two types two types of uh, achievers that came out of trauma. And uh, but then there's the victim side of the um, the folks, and those are less likely to be pursuing or wanting to necessarily be in leadership roles. Or or if they are, it doesn't take long to re- to understand the why there. When you're thinking about people who are in those leadership positions and maybe they're saying, yeah, you know, I do. I want to process my story. I know something actually is wrong, but I'm afraid because Mm -hmm. this puts my job on the line. I mean, you know, like you feel like the exposure is just going to cause you to fail. Like, what do you say to them? What's the step forward for them? I think that is hard. And in the church, mm-hmm. particularly, the dual relationships are are magnified. We're not only colleagues or brothers and sisters in Christ. You're my child's godparent. We do Christmas <laughs> together. I mean, everything is bleeding. And then at the end of the day, I'm still your boss. Um, so right? the line, like oh, and if, it's your friendships. It's yeah, everything. your friendships. So yeah. So if I confess that I'm struggling over here. And it could affect my job. It could unravel my entire life. Mm. So we feel you on that. And I would say, depending on the size of your wake, it's important to do this slow and do it carefully. And this is where maybe starting with a professional counselor, the, mm-hmm. the lines of conf- That's why I actually became a confidential, a licensed professional counselor, because there's a place for that to be able to hold and practice and feel that exposure. Yeah. And then to wisely get a few others on the team to help you do this well, because it's not just you that's going to impact, be impacted. It's your entire wake, mm-hmm. but it's the right thing. And it's the freeing thing. Cause if you continue to hold it and hide it, the way the ruin, the explosion is going to be far worse and far greater. And so if you can do this with confessing first to one or two and then moving with a clear plan of how to do this well, there is a cost. And we talk about this in the book of the cost yeah. of confession and that there's a difference between a Saul heart and a David heart. And I'll just give you a quick summary of that. Yeah. Saul does, a, you know, he's anointed. They're both anointed and they both yeah. are gifted and they both have a call. But when Saul is facing his consequences, he manages it and he does a confession to manage the cost. Mm -hmm. David confesses and with no management, he says, I'll receive whatever comes. And the David heart is the one after God's heart. And so that's the warning for all of us, every single one of us. But I would say, start small. Don't start on the pulpit. That that (laughs) can be damaging and traumatic for everybody. So that would be my wisdom and advice to start small. Mm -hmm. But this is what we do in helping people. We also do something called the cohort where we're trying to do prevention. So we do a wholehearted leadership cohort where we say, leaders, come. 
do some of your work before you're faced with that decision, um, yeah. we can, you can do a lot more prevention work. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what I, what comes to mind for me too, is this idea that, um, I feel like if we could just adopt more of the language and the idea that even though everybody's story is different, every single one of us have things from our past that we need to deal with. Yeah. And if you can, that, 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 that may be intense therapy that may not be, Mm-mm. but to have this idea that now everything's good, maybe is part of what's gotten us in trouble. Um, <laughs> I love that. Not maybe, definitely. Right? <laughs> One of the symptoms, I, I just want to say, if you quickly dismiss hard, that's actually a big sign that you Red have flag. trauma. Yeah. Uh, those healthy people, this is the sign for me is when they can hold the both end and say, yeah, yes. what I went through was really difficult. I'm making it through. I'm okay. Or here's what I did to grieve and process. So that person is healthy and has moved through. It's those of us that are like, what was the big deal? It's no big deal. Everybody has that, you know, no use crying over spilled milk. Those are the voices that we tell ourselves and we tell others that is a big sign that we've got something to work through. And uh, we also don't think that therapy is the only answer. I mean, part of what we're doing in our executive coaching is saying, hey, just having another guide to walk with you right. um, is really an important part. Um, and then a guide who will tell you, as Jeff was saying, hey, this actually is probably more therapy minded. Um, but just being human beings, walking with each other um, and listening to one another and not being shocked by our stories, grieving with one another. There's a lot of healing in that. Yeah. Just being human to human and not um, expecting one another to always have it together. Well, and in executive coaching, um, it's so nice when you're with someone who's like-minded too, to have that safe place to really work through things. And so, Jeff, I'm assuming with you having worked in the executive coaching with, you know, Christian organizations, non-Christian organizations, what are some of those similarities you see with people who just need to process things that maybe they're a little reluctant to share at first, but then all of a sudden it's like, okay, these are the same thing side to side. Yeah, that's definitely why it's actually why we created the, we call the the back door into a leader's hearts and lives. Mm. When we first started this, the clinical space this is the front door. And a lot of, a lot of leaders never want to go through that door. Right. They'll pay for, they'll pay for their people, their kids, their spouse to go through that door. They don't want to go through that door. Mm-hmm. That's also a tell. And so we created the back door in, in, <laughs> into leaders' hearts and lives where they'll hire our uh, executive coaching, organizational development team members to come in and to help them with the people issues. You know, sometimes that engagement begins with them just one to one, and others other times yeah. it begins with coming and doing a team thing or or an organizational deal. But long story short, just to answer your question, people are people, and they bring Amen. all of who they are wherever they go. Mm-hmm. They bring all of who they are wherever they go. And in Western society, and specifically in America, we were taught at an early age, all of us to compartmentalize as if that was the good thing. And no wonder why we are we, we, we struggle so much because God didn't make us to do that. Uh, yeah. He gave us that emergency response, which is a beautiful gift. But I think generally compartmentalization is not, not, very, not very healthy for, to be doing as a lifestyle. That's why we leak. That's why there's problems in so many ways. Because nobody uh, can manage all these different parts uh, to a high, high, perfect degree. No, it's just, it's not possible. We weren't made for that. Yeah. So, yeah. So to the leader that, uh, you know, hires us for executive coaching, I sit with and meet, meet with, 
it doesn't take very long to hear um, about what's going on inside. And it's a, a holy space, no matter if they know God um, are right. following Jesus or not. To me, as image bearers, it's a holy space. We didn't want to miss out on the opportunity that God had us. And they found out word of mouth that we did good work over here in this feather business or so on and so yeah. forth. And we're going in and trying to say, uh, see, and in my own heart and my mind, I'm thinking, what do you want me to see, God? What do you want me to hear about this person? How how can I not get in your way? How can I work with you? What? And uh, that's what I'm thinking and feeling when I'm listening to them talk to me about this uh, this hard news that they have to share with their organization. And Fifty people will be laid off, or this or that. Mm, um, wow. So. Yeah. And leadership in and of itself, just being a leader in a role where you have people following you is dramatic. <laughs> Anything dramatic. outside the ordinary. So that that's also a, uh, an important thing to acknowledge is, is that leaders hold uh, roles and responsibilities that people who aren't leading don't hold and don't have. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we've tried to be a safe space for them. So whether they come through the front door or the back door, we're trying to help church leaders and ministry leaders become um, more trauma-informed. So, yeah. you know, again, they can take the good heart that they have to want to shepherd a flock and actually do it with wisdom and that they really want. They just don't have. And so we're connecting them to resources. We're talking about how the brain is impacted by significant events like divorce, like abuse, like other things that are happening and that they're that are coming to them as pastors. Uh, and they are like, oh my gosh. And more and more and more they're coming. Thing, the hardships of this world are not diminishing. No. <laughs> um, but we're we're also broken vessels, all of us, even, even as mm -hmm. God has made us new creations. And here's what I love. I love to listen to pastors and ministry leaders that are not, not trying to get their needs met in unhealthy ways by talking about this, their struggles, but talking about the struggles as a means of leading in the right direction. Here's with healthy vulnerability, not mm -hmm. not dump truck vomiting. Hold, That's right. Not <laughs> vomiting vulnerability. Healthy <laughs> vulnerability. Saying, you know what? I went through a period of time where I struggled struggled with some depression. Yep. And uh, you know, I needed uh, my friends uh, who happened to be some of them happened to be some elders uh, here. They saw that in me. They cared about me enough to say, "Hey, you're not yourself." And uh, I, I appreciate people who then. Uh, have community around them and are in a leadership role and can say, you know what, this is so important to get good help when you struggle. And I've struggled too. We're 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 human beings. And does that yeah. does does that diminish my view of scripture and what God can do in my life or in your life? No, it does not. It actually makes it more whole, more complete mm -hmm. when we understand um, that He is the source of our healing and He uses people uh to that he made to uh, to help us heal we're hurt in relationships and we heal in relationships as uh tara likes to say well and i was just gonna say a good example would be hey jeff if you're helping or i'm helping i do executive coaching and we have a great team of executive coaches um, who aren't doing therapy but we're saying hey you're dealing with layoffs right now or especially in church ministries we have the hardest time letting a ministry go or a person oh, no. on staff go and it's because of our own understanding, our own losses. So, hey, you didn't realize that was tied to your divorce. And that's where our executive coaching is coming at you from a whole. We're not just giving you here some tools, go lay off some people. <laughs> right. It's a process of going, yeah, what's going on inside you? So we're helping you know your story, your wiring, and what are your gifts and what are your limits and own that. And then to understand what's healthy relationships and what's not health and what's not healthy, abusive, right. toxic 
And that that is a huge part of executive coaching from our holistic lens. That's kind of unique. And then, yeah, we also hit on things like time budgeting and, and, you know, all of the, just having a confidential space to be able to offload means that that trauma from leadership Mm -hmm. won't hang out in your body and create PTSD. So just the nature of having a coach can help leaders stay healthy. I know. Well, and I think about my husband who, while he doesn't, he works in a secular environment. I mean, he's a Christian man who is a leader in his workspace. And, you know, I've watched him lead in that space now for seven years. And it's interesting, the things that he's been able to identify that he's like, oh, wow, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life, but I didn't realize how much this that happened, you know, back in 1995 has impacted the way that I deal with stress when someone comes at me with 50 million questions, like, and that's not even anything major, right? I mean, in the sense of like, that's just that sense of overwhelm. And that can be traumatic when you're like, I just need to get my work done. And now 18 people have walked in the door and asked me questions and I accidentally (laughs) blew up on them, but I don't want to blow up on them. I mean, so all of that is like a normal response. But honestly, what I see in the Christian space is then he would have a bunch of shame heaped on top of him Mm. for having that response. Whereas in the secular world, they're like, oh man, no big deal. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? Right. For him, he's like, no, I don't want to keep responding that way. Yeah. I know that's not Christ-like, but what we do we do have do a different standard? Yeah, well, I think it's simple. I'm gonna I'm gonna oversimplify, but I go. This is what's so great about our Jesus. I'm like, I would not want to live any of this hard life without the grace of Jesus. But it's not what we do; it's what we do after what we did mm-hmm. that yeah. matters in our economy as believers. We have mm-hmm. an op- opportunity to confess, mm-hmm. to be able to receive forgiveness, to be able to have to actually take that next step to look someone in the eye and go, "What I did in blowing up with, on you was not your fault; it was mine." That's different, and mm-hmm. that's where the power of Jesus helps us. And we don't go there even as Christians because mm-hmm. we're human, and that's scary. But that's that experience addition that changes the neurobiology of our bodies. God was wise when he gave us these steps. Everything, everything yeah. I read, I Jeff and I read from that neurobiology place and we go, yeah. oh, look at what he's asking us to do. When you confess to one another, James says, you are healed. Not mm-hmm. just confession to him, to one another. There's a healing in our brain that happens. And so mm-hmm. as believers in the world, they're like, yeah, I mean, I can't tell you some of the companies we work for that having affairs and cheating on one another, that's just normal, right? <laughs> There's no paradigm. You'd like to say it's not, but it totally is. Yeah. <laughs> but as Christians, our values are different, mm-hmm. rightfully so. But the grace is what happens after we have we have a second, we have opportunities for restoration yeah. and redemption, a David heart versus a Saul heart. It's not about perfection. Mm-hmm. It's about honesty. It's not about doing it all on your own. It's about doing it before God and others. That's yeah. the shift that brings a sense of like, ah, I can yeah. mess up, but I can also make it right. And let me just encourage your listeners out there to just, as well to say, and your husband would be a great candidate here in this scenario. He just happened to notice that, wow, he has yeah. some triggers towards having 18 interruptions in a given day <laughs> that might might be more of a reaction than he would want or that he would ex- than he would expect in himself. And so yeah. he wants to stay curious about that. Where's that coming from? You know, and I'll just say this is that you're no less of a Christian for look for taking time to look back in the past or to get some help, just like you would for anything, you, know, you got a broken tooth, you go to the dentist to try to get that fixed or this or that. 
Yeah, to, to, to turn back, you're actually wiser in as a follower of Jesus to be willing to stay curious with God as to where these reactions come from, what's going on here. And yeah, it, it's a... Uh, we, we need to get over the idea and think that that asking for help or getting help for anything is a sign of weakness. It yeah. actually is a sign of maturity. It's a sign of strength. It's a sign yeah. of wisdom. Mm-hmm. And uh, and God is with us in that. He, he's yeah. leading us to discover these things. Why? Because he loves us and he doesn't want us to continue to perpetuate traumatic responses unto others. Hey, to get our needs met in healthier ways rather than using people to get our needs met in unhealthy yeah. ways. And so, yeah, um, I am a person who had uh, who had more significant trauma in my journey. I uh, talk about some triggers that I had that freaked me out. <laughs> and where in the world is this coming from? And got some help. And uh, it was exactly what I needed. So that those triggers actually in the neuroscience interrupted those triggers with other steps my brain was changing and I felt healed. And so my response to the same stimuluses was different. It improved. And that's something that we need to take to the streets that we can, uh, we, you want to, you don't want, you want those things to go away. We all have them. So let's stop pretending that we don't have them. That's right. And let's use wisdom. Let's be courageous. Let's, uh, let's be loving and actually, uh, do the things that are necessary to look back to make sure that those past issues aren't impacting our present or our future in unhealthy ways. Mm. Well, guys, I'm so grateful that you've put the book out, but also the other resources that you do have, because I'm not a practicing physical therapist now. That's what I did for years. And so brain science and all of it is incredibly fascinating to me. And I just love that now Christians are getting to see a little bit more about brain science and how that's actually God science. Like that's not something that people just came up with. We're just learning more about it. And so if people want to look into, you know, your coaching, what you offer, what is the website? I mean, the book is there as well. You can get the book anywhere, but what is your website and um, some of the things that you offer there? Uh, thank you for asking. It's uh, livingwholehearted.com. And I just want to say, everyone's like, are you connected to Bernadine Brown? I'm like, actually, we took that from the scriptures from Old Testament where the Israelites brought of all the who they are. And ironically, we had to connect with Bernadine Brown at some point, And she gave us full permission to run and trademark that baby because she was not that was not her thing. But um, when people hear that or connect with us, we're we're out there. So living wholehearted, that's us. You can get executive coaching. We coach people from all over the country. We right now are uh, we run cohorts for women leaders yeah. um, and cohorts for co-ed um, male and female. We love doing the co-ed space. Jeff and I lead that together. Wow. Um, and we do four retreats out here in the Northwest in Oregon. So people sign up just to be able to come out to the Willamette Valley out here in Oregon. But most of it's virtual. So you can join us throughout Um, but you can check out livinghard.com. We've got a podcast and we are just constantly putting out trainings and equipping leaders. Honestly, we hope to do more prevention, but we also have a professional counseling team that comes alongside those who are hurting and are ready to get into those deep waters of their trauma stories. So we have that available as well. Well, guys, thanks so much for being here today. I appreciate you. Thank you for the work you're doing and bringing this to the forefront of the church. Thank you. Thank you, Amber. Once again, I want to recommend Jeff and Tara's book, Shrinking the Integrity Gap. I really enjoyed it and found it helpful in examining my own integrity gaps. 
It is linked at graceenoughpodcast.com slash integrity. I appreciate every purchase you make using the affiliate links on the website. It is an easy way to support the continued production of the show. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.